Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Belonging, the podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here coming to you on a kind of amazing rainy May day on my side of the hill here on coastal Miwok land in California. Having just arrived back a few days ago from the second annual ancestral pilgrimage to Ireland, we had such a good time. Is good the right word? Powerful, transformative, amazing, magical. It's such a privilege to do this work and to hold space for women to be doing it. We had such a beautiful time being on sacred sites, being there for Bealtaine or Beltane, honoring the great fire and ushering in the season of summer, the season of light, and just feeling old-fashioned sisterhood feeling our grief and our joys and our sorrows being moved with the rain from the clouds above. And then when the sun would come out, feeling such joy and warmth, the way our ancestors would feel with this transition, this seasonal transition from winter through spring into summer. I also really felt so um, nourished in deep ways. I could feel, I could feel before I left that I really needed some bone deep rest and actually was having this experience of like, what is rest? I'm trying it, but I can't figure it out. And that land is so gentle and is really beautiful at holding, holding your body and spent a few days after the retreat out West in the Burren where the cliffs of Moor are and um, really just integrating it all. And now I'm back. And was I gone for years or was I gone for two weeks? Oh, linear time. You are fickle. But happy to be back and feeling different, feeling 
grounded, feeling more tuned in to the aliveness that is in the trees and the plants and the flowers and in my own body and with just some amazing best friends. We're forever bonded for life by spending a week together on sacred land and thinking excitedly about my next adventure, my next journey, the next pilgrimage I will be leading. Details coming soon. And then I got to interview one of my heroes who is on this podcast today, Lila June. I'm actually, I usually record the intros right after I, I talk to these folks, but I was literally speechless and crying yesterday when I interviewed Lila. She is someone I really, truly look up to. I'll, I talk a little bit more in the opening about how I came to know who Lila June is, but it was really activated through uh, what happened at Standing Rock in 2016 and really hearing about these water protectors and these indigenous folks who had such fierce conviction and deep connection to the land and hearing about their ceremonies and the power of their prayers and, and feeling that activated in my own body and my own indigenous self. And then I got to see Lila perform. She is a public speaker, a poet, a hip-hop artist, an acoustic singer-songwriter. I saw her perform a few months ago, and it felt like the whole room was alchemically shifted from her performance, from her words. And so I knew, <laughs> I knew it would be a powerful conversation. And then to hear her story, which you'll hear in a moment, I'm, I am humbled to be in her presence and very honored to have shared this conversation with her and with you. So the official bio is she is Lila June is a nationally and internationally renowned public speaker, poet, hip hop artist, acoustic songwriter of Diné and Cheyenne lineages. Her music and message centers around intergenerational and interethnic healing, as well as the articulation of indigenous philosophy. Her life story of addiction, abuse, discrimination, and eventually overcoming these battles gives her a powerful vantage point from which to share a message of love, unification, and healing. She is the co-founder of the Taos Peace and Reconciliation Council, which works to heal intergenerational trauma and ethnic division in northern New Mexico. So there's so much that Lila is doing and being in the world. She is fully activated. She is fully sharing her gifts and I'm just so excited for you to hear this conversation, which is actually about her European side, about her embracing her European indigeneity as a native woman, native to Turtle Island, the United States, and what her ancestors, her European ancestors asked her to do, coming to her in ceremony, forgiving her, for rejecting them. And then inviting her into a deeper healing of what it means to be European and all of the atrocities that us, I'm speaking as a European descended woman, as our ancestors went through that uh, led to them perpetuating this harm and the way she as a native woman can really um, see from the way her native ancestors have been treated, how there's so many parallels with the European indigenous story. It's powerful. It's calling those of us who are white into a deeper truth. It's activating. 
and um, beautiful. So I highly recommend checking out the show notes of this episode at belongingpodcast.com because I'm going to include her the music video for her song Mama Laud, which is Welsh for motherland, filmed on location in Wales and Scotland, and um, a bit more of her work and a bit more education that she invites us into around um, the correct and incorrect naming of her people and what she asks us to do and not do as um, white people to honor um, the people, the ancestors of the lands we live on. So head to belongingpodcast.com to see more of that. And I will stop talking and invite you into this deeply powerful conversation with Lila June. So I'm so, so honored to have you here talking to me. I've been such, I've been following you basically since I became aware of you with uh, Standing Rock and credit goes to Starhawk who talked about meeting you in a sweat and uh, you were wearing this shirt that said uh, Boudica, which helped me learn about this woman who really stood up to the Roman Empire. And then that had me really curious about who you were. And I've been following you and listening to your music and then saw you perform in Berkeley last year and have really just been a fire has been lit within me from witnessing you and learning from you. And I recently came across this um, article you wrote. I'm not sure the original place you wrote it, but I read it in uh, White Awake about healing your European ancestry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, um, I'll ask you in a moment to introduce yourself and who who your people are, because that's a very complex question, no matter who you are in this world. But I was just very struck with you, an indigenous woman who's really standing up for the earth and for indigenous rights and um, to be talking about your white side and watching what that ignited in me as a white woman, as a woman of European ancestry, to see you really claiming that and talking about it. So um, I'm thrilled to have you on and to see where this conversation goes. So my, my first question to you, Lila, is who are your people? Thank you. Um, so I'll introduce myself in my mother tongue. So what I said was, which means greetings, my kin and my relatives, because we're taught to always uh, greet everyone as your as your relative you, you know whether it's someone who's not even related to you black skin white skin from asia from australia they're they're all your relative even if they don't have a human face maybe they have leaves maybe they have feathers maybe they have six legs and they crawl around greet everyone as your relative because only when we see each other with that type of warm and fuzziness are we ever going to have the world that we're capable of having a beautiful world? So that's what means. Then I, I introduced my first clan and we as Diné people, you know, also incorrectly known as Navajo, mm-hmm. we obtain our, our primary clan from our mother and she obtained her primary clan from her mother. So your primary clan comes from your mother's 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 m
mother all the way back. So my clan is Nanishtejitrachitni, which means the Black Charcoal Street Division of the Red Running Into Water People, which is a subgroup of the Dene, or as I said, incorrectly known as Navajo. We are a, we're a group that that clan has been carried for many, 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 uh, many generations. And so uh, that's kind of who I feel like I am is Nanishtejitrachitni. Then you go into your father's clan, which is... Um, so my father gets his clan from his mother, right? Mm. Because we all get our clans from our mother. So you talk about your father's mother. So basically she was um, uh, Cheyenne uh, from Anadarko, Oklahoma. Uh, she was also a mixed blood like myself, a hybrid. So she was uh, not just Cheyenne, but she was many things, uh, European and Cheyenne. Uh, and God knows what else. Then we have my mother's father's clan. And of course, he gets it from his mother. So my, my, my mom's dad, my grandpa, he's Ashihe, which is the salt clan and uh, the salt people of the Dene nation. Hmm. And the salt people are the guardians of the salt because back in the day, you know, the salt was very precious and regarded and revered in a very sacred ceremonial way. So... Um, those are those are my people, my my Che side. You know, we call our mother's father our Che. Mm-hmm. Our father's father we call our Nulle. So my Nulle is a Scandinavian, Scottish, and other things. I'm not quite sure. He's also one of those Texan tribes. I forget which one. Uh, the Texan tribes got obliterated pretty badly, um, mm-hmm. so it's really hard to trace that. But um, he's where I get a lot of my European blood from. So um, I say like Scandinavian clan, Scottish clan. So those are my peeps. And, you know, I tried to honor all the rivers that flow together to make who I am. And I try to just honor them by, by, by living a good life. And I'm not perfect, but doing my best to think outside of myself and serve others. And in that way, I bring honor to all of those four rivers that, that make me who I am, all my four grandparents. So that's who I say my people are. Mm, thank you. Beautiful. I'm just noticing my own reaction of noticing which of my four rivers I feel like less of a connection to and hearing you speak like so clearly and honoring of each of your four rivers and me being like, huh, maybe in my like whiteness, I've lost that connection. So I really thank you for bringing that into this space. I have a question, which is, so in Navajo is incorrect, and that's because that was given to, to that name was given to your people by the colonizers. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, I feel like that's a good bit of data to punctuate here for our listeners. Thank you yes, for that. Thank you. And yeah. most 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 nations, most indigenous nations, have that issue. Um, really, we, we are known by a name that isn't really our true name. And it was because it was given to by the colonizers. Yes, that is part of the, uh, the, the, the campaign of colonization is to rename everything. Yes. Because the way that we name the land and the people uh, dictates the worldview through which we see the land and the people. So that's part, of the, that's part of the very deliberate plan of colonization is to, to rename everything. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember. I had a a guest a few weeks ago, Lara Vleda Vesta, who said that 
in her um, Northern European ancestry, there's a saying that can be translated to naming is the first magic. And that, yeah. uh, and that yeah, by doing that, like you can either cast the spell of disenchantment, you know, or you can really honor something. So that really resonates for me that yeah, naming is a means of control in many ways. Yes, and a means of liberation as well. It's, it's, it's only one element of the larger plan of liberation, but it is definitely an element of it. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Okay, so I'd love to know, it's such a big question. I'd love to know your story of belonging. It's like, whoa, well, how much time you got? But I, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd love to know, I guess I'm curious about your story with um, knowing and claiming or not claiming your European side and in general, what, what it was like growing up for you being what you said is like a half breed or a half blood or someone who wasn't full blooded indigenous. Right. So in my grandparents' generation on my mother's side, they went to boarding school and they were punished for speaking Denebizad, our language. Mm. Um, they were forced to put their nose on a little circle on a chalkboard for an hour. That was one of the punishments if you got caught speaking your language. Uh, there was uh, just commonplace corporal punishment of the kids. In other words, beating them. My grandma tells me this story that one of the kids at the boarding school, these little native kids, you know, like threw some sand at another kid. And the teacher brought the kid up in front of the whole class, raised her hand really high and just brought it down on his face as hard as she could and just said, you know, this don't throw sand at people, you know? So mm. the boarding, the boarding schools that were compulsory for all indigenous children during the late 1800s, early 1900s really challenged our people in, in terms of holding on to who we are, because there was serious consequences for being who and what you were. So this is why both of my grandparents on that side are, are very devout Christians. They're very patriotic. They celebrate 4th of July. You know, they're very like, they have brown skin, but they're very like Americanized mm. uh, to like to the bone almost. And so their parents also went to boarding school. So they're sort of like second generation boarding school kids. So, but then you fast forward to my generation you know, that's after the 60s, that's after the American Indian movement, that's after a flourishing and a reclaiming of our identity as indigenous peoples. And now all of a sudden, instead of it being bad to be Navajo, now it's kind of bad to be, you know, European, because you don't mm -hmm. want to be associated with the people who inflicted the boarding schools on us, the people who inflicted the massacres, the people who inflicted slavery and genocide and da 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 you know this you could go on and on with all the horrors that colonizing forces inflicted on this on this land so for a long time growing up i felt very ashamed that i was part european and i was taught to be ashamed of that because you know they're those naughty colonizers you don't want to be associated with them. Right. so um for a long time i kind of just wouldn't say that i was european i would say oh you know i'm Diné. You know, I'm just Diné, and that's it. And that's all I would say. Um, and I hadn't even dug into my father's side and found out that he actually was part Cheyenne and other things too. Um, so I was just very um, myopic in that, of like, I'm just Diné, and I don't even want to admit that I'm European. And I could pass. You know, I have pretty brown skin. I have pretty native features. 
um, so I could kind of quote unquote pass as, as full blood. My brother, on the other hand, he is of the same mom, the same dad, but he came out really light complexed. Mm. So I watched how the world treated him versus me. And depending on what context we were in, I had the better advantage or he had the better advantage. If we were in native communities, he got picked on, he got made fun of, everyone saw him as the other, you know, because he was pale skinned. Whereas I just slipped right in and everyone accepted me, right? And I just saw him be tortured by that and I could feel it. And I, I didn't like that. So later on, fast forward to when I'm about 20 years old, I was sitting in our hogan, um, which is our ceremonial structure in mm -hmm. Dene, Dene You know, it's, it's an octagonal structure that represents the womb and it's where mm -hmm. we go to pray. It's also where we live. It's also where we teach our kids. All of those things happen in the same space because we see them as all part of the same project. So as I was sitting there, I don't know why it happened or what spurred it. I don't quite remember. But I remember all of my European ancestors came. And they came like a flood. Mm. And I knew it was them because they told me it was them. And I knew it was them because I could see my grandmother on my dad's side who was part Cheyenne, part European. And she had passed away before I was born. And I just, I don't know how I knew it, but you know how sometimes you just know it. It's just so in your face that it's like, okay. And, and, and I wasn't calling on them necessarily. I wasn't, you know, any of that. But one of our elders was beckoning us to claim our, ourselves in this space and to claim our clans, all of them, all four of them. So I claimed them and then boom, here they come. And I could feel them so strong and they were so beautiful and they were so tender. Hmm. And they were so kind and they were so beautiful. And I remember thinking like, oh man, I'm so sorry that I never truly honored you. I'm so sorry that I've rejected you my whole life. I just kind of felt kind of silly, you know, like these are, these are people, you know, they went yeah. through uh, their own crazy stuff, which I'll get to in a second. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I said I was sorry. And they just came with grace. They're like, daughter, do not be sorry. Like, we, we've been here for you the whole time. We never left your side. Even when you disowned us, we didn't leave your side. <laughs> you know? wow. Even when you couldn't feel us, we were standing beside you. And it was so deep. And I just cried and cried and cried. And I was just like, whoa, that is pretty, that's pretty wonderful, right? Because I was becoming whole. I was, I was becoming that full river and I was feeling that full river that I am and all those rivers that came together to make who I am. Mm. So then I started doing more research. I'm like, oh, wait, you know, there is a lot of parallels between what happened to European peoples and what happened to Native Americans. It's striking. They have, um, language prohibition you know as as late as the 1920s if you were caught speaking welsh in school they would tie a block of wood around your neck with the letters written w in which stood for welsh not you should mm -hmm. google it it's very interesting it's tragic and the only way a kid could get this welsh knot off of their neck this block of wood is if they caught another kid speaking welsh and uh. so this is how they humiliated the welsh identity out of existence or at least they tried to and the real word for welsh is kumreg right the language is called kumreg 
So Kumreg is making a comeback now. There's all kinds of revitalization projects. And it just reminds me so much of what we're trying to do on Turtle Island, yes. you know, AKA, AKA America, of bringing our languages back. So another parallel is disease epidemics, right? They estimate that 98% of Native Americans or indigenous peoples, as we prefer to be called, were wiped out by disease, 98%. So any Native person you see is a, is a descendant of the 2% who didn't die. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of a big honor, right? You're like, whoa, I, I like somehow made it through that, yeah. that impasse. You go to Europe, you have the, the, the bubonic plague, right? The Black Death. It killed one out of three people overnight on the whole continent. And probably more than that, honestly, but that's what a conservative right. estimate is one out of three. So imagine one out of three people that you know disappearing. That's a lot of people that mm-hmm. you love. That's a mm-hmm. lot of people you treasure. That's a lot. That's your uncles. That's your sisters. That's your father. That's, that's real trauma that we as Europeans are carrying that we haven't fully dealt with because we never had a place to deal with it. Right. Um, I can go on and on. There's also, um, you know, a, a, a effigy that was found in German soil in 2009. And it was a clay effigy of a woman. And this woman is believed to, she's found throughout Europe, what we now call Europe. And, and she's thought to represent the feminine and the sanctity of the earth and the sanctity of the woman and, and, and how we center the feminine, not to say the masculine is not important, but he, the masculine is made, made more beautiful as it centers the feminine. Hmm. So um, they radiocarbon dated this effigy found in German soil and they found that it was 40,000 years old. And so this is what I believe we as Europeans need to get back to is okay we can't think on a scale of 2000 years that's not serving us right. that is only serving to reinforce this false identity that we are warlike that we are awful that we are mean to each other that we enslave each other that we're white supremacists that we're monarchs that we're you know all the things basically that our history says that we are is not true it's a result of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years of trauma and people acting out of fear instead of acting out of love and so that's very easy to do i mean look at look at nations all across the world like we fall to fear often so my point is i started to research uh what my european ancestors went through and it gave me much more compassion for them and a big one, which I talk about a lot, is the burning of the women, yeah. you know, the drowning of the women. You know, imagine, you know, millions of women being under constant surveillance and policing of whether or not they were a witch. You could be labeled a witch if you had a birthmark on your arm. You could mm-hmm. be labeled a witch if you knew what mugwort did for the body. You could be labeled a witch if you didn't get pregnant after so many years of being married. Anything was suspect. And so everyone's living in these very confined lines of being a non-witch, right? And all of the indigenous culture 
that goes along with being a quote unquote witch, right. which really means wise, you know, which mm-hmm. means wise, mm-hmm. wise woman is going underground because it's being suppressed. And those few who were brave enough to say who and what they were unashamed and unabashedly were punished oftentimes with torture, rape, death, burning alive, drowning alive. So you have to understand that this was not just an assault on the women. It was an assault on the men who loved them because men oftentimes have this inherent drive to protect. And if they feel as if they failed to protect the women, it seriously is a blow to their soul. Mm. And so you have the soul of the women being destroyed and you have the soul of the men being destroyed simultaneously. Imagine watching your mother get burned alive. Mm-hmm. Imagine watching your sis as a man, you know, watching your sister get burned alive. Imagine watching your wife get burned alive. These kinds of things happen very frequently in that time period. And so, in other words, I can summarize all of what I just said to say, I realized that as a European woman, there was no shame in being European. There was only love. There was only grace. There was only kindness. And there was only forgiveness. That there's, there's not room for anything else right now. Because mm-hmm. when we carry the type of atrocities that we carry, I mean, we think Trump is bad, right? And he is. I mean, he's not, what he's doing is bad. I can't judge the person as bad, but what he's doing is bad. Mm-hmm. But he is child's play compared to what European leaders, quote unquote leaders were doing to people. Mm-hmm. It was, it was hardcore just to live there. And so I think that it is, it's incumbent upon all of us to take a look at whiteness as it were with a lot of compassion and a lot of patience, even mm-hmm. if we feel like quote unquote, we don't deserve it. Right. Cause we've, perpetuated all this trauma that was inflicted on our people but that's what grace is grace isn't something you can earn it's not something you can unearn grace is love just because and and with a, a population as traumatized as europeans are we need a lot of love and a lot of compassion and a, a very wide and deep container and, and, and some of my native colleagues might disagree, and they do. They say, oh, well, how can you, you know, help Europeans? And, you know, like, they were so mean to us. And I say, yes, they were. However, why were they mean to us? You don't just wake up one day and decide you want to commit genocide on a whole continent of people. That comes from somewhere. Mm. And so I researched Spain, and we have over 20 documented periods of bloodshed that we know of before Juan de Oñate ever came to New Mexico and chopped off the left foot of every Acoma Pueblo man. We have 20 documented periods of bloodshed, you know, war, full-scale war in Spain before Coronado ever even came to Mexico and enslaved peoples and, and, and raped peoples. So this all comes from a place and it comes from a herded a hurting place, a wounded place. And it is our task to be gentle, to be loving, to be forgiving, and to hold that flame of grace as strong as we can 
even when everyone else is telling us we're crazy. Because mm. that grace is what is going to stop all those cycles in its track. And that grace is what's going to bring healing, not just to Europeans, but to indigenous peoples as well. Wow. Thank you so much for that. I'm, I'm noticing, um, I'm feeling challenged and relieved by, by what you're saying. I think the challenge comes from this idea of forgiveness, uh, particularly because I don't have, um, well, I'm just hearing you being able to meet this information from a place of really recognizing it from your native side. I like, oh, this sounds pretty similar to what my people on, the, uh, on Turtle Island went through. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I'm noticing I, I don't, it's harder for me to access that empathy sometimes. Like I find a lot of times when I really look at the history, I, I feel um, immobilized or angry or guilty or ashamed or all these things. So I'm hearing you say the word grace and it really softens my heart and opens and opens my mind and my soul and my arms to the parts of myself that are wanting to heal and move through this and make it a better world. And I'm wondering how, how did that come to you? Like you write in your article about wholly loving our ancestors, which is something I really want to get to and want to guide other people to in the way I walk my path. And I'm just wondering how you found that, how you came to that. Yeah, I think that uh, forgiveness is not saying that what happened was okay. If it was okay, there wouldn't be any need for forgiveness. What it's saying is we choose to meet hatred with love. What it's saying is we choose to hand flowers to those who handed us grenades. And I don't know if that's too, like woo-woo or something but no such thing as too woo-woo here (laughs) (laughs) it's it's deciding that you're gonna forgive debts Hmm. it's someone owes you something and you say you know what it's all good don't worry about it and when we can find that place we can reverse legacies of cycles But how do we get to that place? Okay, so I think that, um, okay, so I was raised militant. That's probably a good place to start. I was raised to, you know, take down the man, burn down the White House, steal all the American flags. I used to steal American flags. That was like my thing. Mm. Um, And I used to like spend a lot of energy battling the establishment a lot of energy. And I was taught all about native history growing up. I was taught all about the massacres. I was, and I was taught to seek revenge. That was my, that was my training. And it wasn't until I met Desmond Tutu, uh, who was the overseer of the truth and reconciliation council in South Africa, Mm -hmm. post apartheid, if there is such a thing. And, um, He's, his job was to, to oversee the process of forgiveness. And he spoke so eloquently about forgiveness. And I honestly can't remember exactly what he said. But whatever he said opened up a whole new world to me. And I was like, whoa, 
you can meet all this pain with love. Hmm. And I just liked it. My soul gravitated to it. I was like, I like this. This feels, this feels more constructive. This feels more effective. This feels like this is going to work. Because I've been stealing flags my whole life and it's not doing anything. It's not changing anything. And so I decided to take up this philosophy of, of forgiveness. And on my path, I, I really was forgiven myself. And I'll try not to get too off topic, but basically I was born into a world of drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and I started doing drugs when I was 11 years old. I'm 29 now. I didn't get sober till I was 23. So mm-hmm. that's 12 years of being very, 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 very high and very, 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 very drunk on a lot of different things because I was trained to do that as well. And so um, I, I decided to get sober And at that time, I was selling drugs, which also was going on around me when I was growing up. I I didn't realize at the time, but all of the things my surroundings was doing was imprinting me and teaching me what's normal. So I became a drug dealer and I hurt a lot of people. I mean, I hurt a lot of people. I got people addicted. I, I profited off of people's addictions for a couple years. And I, I, I made a lot of money off of it. And I, you know, most people would say like, you know, put her in jail. She's broken the law. She's useless. She's a drunk. She's a drunk Indian. She's, a, she's mm. stupid. Mm. She's, she's a reject. But creator, as I prayed for sobriety, finally, when I was older, I said, creator, I'm ready. I'm ready to let it go. Help me. The, what, the way creator answered that prayer was so loving. And he said, instead of saying, you know, you're a very bad girl, we're going to get you sober by putting you in jail and, and making you feel bad for yourself for the next few years. Instead, creator said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you were born into drugs and alcohol. I'm sorry that you experienced incest as a little girl. I'm sorry mm-hmm. that you've been raped your whole life. I'm mm-hmm. sorry that you used drugs to numb the pain. I'm sorry you were taught drug dealing is okay. And it was just a lot of sorry. And no one had ever told me that before. Hmm. And it allowed me to step into this leader that I am today. And it allowed me to put down the drugs. I'm six years sober. I'll be seven years sober in December. And it allowed me to, it, it transformed me from a, from a tool of destruction to a tool of, of, of help. And now I, all I want to do is be close to creator. All I want to do is serve the people. All I want to do is bring healing to this world. That's, I cherish every moment of sobriety. It's, it's everything. And that would not have happened if I did not meet grace like that. And so I have a very personal connection to forgiveness because I have been forgiven so deeply. And I still regret what I did. I don't go a day without feeling bad about what I've done but I know that creator is asking me to come back into his army or her army and and fight for her as her warrior and and saying like you know what you're still you're still good you're still something I want you're still something that I I love and I cherish you're still something I'm willing to fight for and and you're still something that is useful in this world and we love you. 
And so I think grace is, um, if it were easy, we wouldn't be where we're at. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I went to Palestine recently and I saw how people are living in Gaza. It is not pretty. And it's just, I don't think it's a coincidence that it looks very much like a concentration camp. Mm. I don't think that's a coincidence. And they say that if you do not forgive your oppressor, you can become your oppressor. Mm. And so it's very important for us to forgive. Even we as native people, even as cool as we are, we're starting to become something we're not. We're starting to harm other people. We're starting to take advantage of women. We're starting to take advantage of men. We're starting to get into the drugs and the alcohol. And all of that is, you know, it's just proof that a very, very beautiful people, if they undergo enough trauma, they can be distorted into something they're not. And I think that's exactly what happened to our European relatives and our European ancestors is a very, 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 very beautiful people Hmm. went through so much thousands of years of trauma that they became something they weren't. And it's not their fault. Hmm. Oh, Lila, thank you so much for sharing your story just now. It's um, really what I'm feeling for you is, um, like a great reverence of your power. And I can see now, like I remember the first time I saw you perform, it felt like a shockwave moved through my whole body, like and I could feel like this pure energy coming from you that felt like unstoppable. And now hearing your story and just your conviction behind grace and forgiveness, it just, it feels like there's this saying I keep seeing go around like Instagram. It's like pain travels through families until it gets to someone who can heal it. And I'm feeling, yeah, it it feels like, you know, you're that person, you know, for your lineage. And I feel so much like I can be that person for my lineage and, and just this, this deeper, yes, we're in a really painful time politically. And I, I really love your I really am grateful for the fact that you're saying like, this ain't nothing guys, this ain't nothing to really give us a deeper context to what we can be a part of. in like this, this battle, as you say, for creator, this battle for the earth, for humanity with, with open eyes. And so I'd love to know what you've been doing to connect with and heal with your European side. I know you've made some journeys to, that land. And you've also written this beautiful song, Mama Laud, which I will share the video for in the show notes. I, I think it's so beautiful. And yeah, well, what have you been doing to connect more with that part, that river that flows within you? Two things. One is journey home to Europe and participate in the ceremonies there, connect with the land. And two is treat the indigenous peoples of this continent in the same way I wish my ancestors were treated by the Romans. Mm. And what I mean by that is walking on this land, Turtle Island, as a guest, even though I am like, quote unquote, half indigenous, and I even have this thing in my (laughs) file called Certificate of Indian Blood that says I'm one half. 
Oh, you know, wow. It's hilarious. But, um, and I'm certified Indian, you know, <laughs> but um, even though I have that, I, I also have this European side to me. And I, I think it brings honor to my lineage, to my ancestors who were overtaken by Romans and God knows who overtook the Romans. I don't know. It's all these cycles. But by walking on this continent as a guest and doing for them what I wish had been done for my European ancestors. So what do I mean by that? I, if I get invited to perform somewhere, I try really hard to ask the indigenous peoples of that land if they think it's okay for me to perform there. Wow. Like at a Bioneers conference in um, San Rafael, California. Bioneers says, oh, can you do a keynote speech? I say, okay. But I say, wait, did the Miwok say I could do a keynote speech? So I talk to the, the Miwok. I consult with them. I talk with them. What are you guys doing? This is your land. Yeah. Okay, there's a big fancy building here that was probably paid for by all the gold that they looted from your land. What yeah. do you guys want? Is it okay if I come? And, of course, the aunties and the elders say, yes, please come and speak. I say, okay, well, what should I say? You know, is there, I mean, I have what I want to say, but is there something I should elevate or talk about that your people are going through? And they always say like, well, you know, we have this gravel mine thing going on that's trying to destroy our sacred site. Could you talk about that? So, okay. So, um, or I get invited to the Santa Cruz College or you see, you see Santa Cruz, right? And they're like, you want to do a speech on food? I'm like, okay, but I need to talk to the Amamutsan people. What do they got going on? What do they mm. need to be elevated? And they, so they say, yeah, we need help with this issue. So I try to insert that into my speech. Or better yet, in Bioneers, I just brought the Miwok on stage with me. I had them say it. So you always try to be mindful that you are in someone's homeland. Yes. You are not entitled to live there. You are a guest. And that's a hard one, right, to ask a lot of our European-American brothers and sisters because we've been born into this education that says we are entitled to this land. We are entitled to the highest income bracket. We are entitled yeah. to the best real estate in the area. And the natives can go live way far away on the worst land that there is because we are American, you know, and, but American is not an ethnicity. It's, mm. there's, there's no depth, no deep lineage to it. And so it honors everything and everyone when we have the humility and the gentleness to say, whoa, wait a second. I am in Miwok territory. I am in Chochenyo Ohlone territory. I am in Yuchi territory. I'm in Huntsville, Alabama, as we speak. I'm in Yuchi territory. I'm in Cherokee territory. I am on, I am on Coast Miwok territory. All right. Yes. Yes. Beautiful territory because of how they took care of it, right? Yes. And right. so, and, and if you're in New York City, I'm in Lenape Hoking. I'm not in New York City. Re-see the land and, and, and walk on it in a good way. Mm-hmm. And so that's one way, right? Is to always, and in, in, in Coast Miwok territory, they have this thing called the Shumi land tax, which is mm-hmm. a voluntary tax, which every single person can pay to the Ohlone people, to the Miwok people, whomever it is, 
and that is used for tribal cultural restoration projects. And so I love that because it's like European Americans are, are working with native peoples to say, you know what, I may not be able to reverse colonization and fix what happened on this land before I got here, but at least my existence can be a proactive one. My existence can stop that legacy in its tracks and my existence can bring some kind of effort to restoring the cultural practices and institutions of the indigenous peoples where I'm standing. So, so it amounts to usually like 20 to $50 a, a year. And a lot of people pay the Shumi land tax directly to the Ohlone tribe. And they're using that money to build a roundhouse in Oakland, California, mm -hmm. and to restore trout to the rivers in Oakland. They're, they're doing beautiful things. And, and I think that's a great model for the rest of the country to follow. Okay, so that's one way. The other way that I honor and reconnect with my European self is I, I went home, you know, and I went to uh, Devon, England, Wales, Switzerland, Italy, Paris. I went to Budapest. You know, I went, I'm very privileged to be able to do that. I know not all of us have those opportunities, but think if we pray for them we can get there mm -hmm. and I walked on the mountains I walked on the shorelines I went into the Tuscan forests I went into the homelands of my ancestors and I felt them again and I think that just because the mountains in in what we now call Europe have lost their people doesn't mean that they don't still need their ceremonies so I, so we got to go back and, and bring those ceremonies back. Even if we don't know quite what we're doing, you know, yeah. bring a piece of a strand of your hair, put it on the ground. That's a ceremony. You're mm -hmm. reconnecting yourself with the land. Bring some uh, mugwort or some different plants that our ancestors worked with and, and gift them to the land. I had the very great honor of going to a sacred site in England, which you'll see in Mamulad, those rocks stacked on top of each other, those are called tours. Mm. And tours are sacred sites. And on top of almost every tour, there's a pool of water. Don't ask me how that pool of water got there. I don't know. <laughs> it is not man-made. It's, it, it's just there. Yeah. And so that pool of water is where we pray. And so I was very honored to work with several indigenous European women who brought me there as the sun was setting in the West, full moon rising uh, in the East. And we prayed and we threw in the holly, we threw it, we brought the apple, we brought um, the mugwort, we brought all of the herbs of our grandmothers. And we talked, we had a talking circle about our grandmothers and we mentioned their names and one of our sisters was pregnant with a baby boy. And so we were healing so many generations backward and forward with yeah. that ceremony. And I think that I have a friend, Emma Kunis, who is wanting to bring European American women back home, you know, and, and do those ceremonies. With them. So I will let you all know once that's a little more fleshed out but that's some of two ways that I reconnect with my European lineage one 
is honoring the indigenous peoples of this land, Turtle Island, AKA America, or if you prefer Turtle Island. Um, yes. The same way my ancestors, my ancestors should have been treated by the Romans when the Romans barged in and systematically raped everyone and relocated people and had their own trail of tears all over Europe yeah. uh, and, and treat people as hosts, as knowledgeable experts of how I should walk on this land. And number two is, you know, I go home and I, and I, I, I walk on the land of my ancestors and I say, thank you. Mm. And, and it's a very uh, wonderful thing to do. Wow. Beautiful. Yes. I was just telling you before we recorded that I'm um, currently in the jet lag haze of being back from two weeks in Ireland where I was there for the um, ancient fire festival of Bealtaine, which welcomes the season of summer to the land in Ireland. And I went to this ancient tomb, 60,000 years old, where uh, the people wow. of the, of the Burren in West Ireland, it's called Polnabrone, they would come and bring the bones of their babies and their loved ones and everyone who had passed. They would let the bodies decompose in the earth and they would bring the bones and in honoring them. And it was basically a passage tomb. These are all, that's that's what um, that's what these these cairns or tombs all over Europe today were for in okay. this in this you know Neolithic time this pre pre Indo European pre Roman time these indigenous ways which was sending the soul of their ancestors into the other world the the world of um, of being connected to and uh, together with all the other ancestors. And this ancestral honoring I really saw that was still there in the stones today. And I brought a group of women over there and we were having this conversation about Standing Rock and having this conversation about, oh, here on European soil, these ancient sacred sites are honored and visited by you know millions of people a year. On Turtle Island, where are those? Do we know where they are? Do we support and honor those? And so I really love this parallel you're drawing between between these homes, these different homes, right? And how we can connect it to the places where our guests are, you know, this place in Turtle Island where we are guests and the places of our ancestry. I'm speaking, those of us who have European ancestry and how we can go to both of those homes and really connect those experiences. Um, so I thank you for sharing that. And um, this thank song- you for sharing that because I oh. think it's very important for people to hear more and more examples of what going home can look like and feel like and just knowing those you know those numbers 60,000 is just like so so fun to just I know this is where we're from you know it's not it's not all King Louis and Napoleon and all those things that people say Europe is that's not Europe that's traumatized Europe you know um totally anyways thank you for sharing that yeah, I know. I mean, I the the Irish uh, the, they have these sacred site keepers there. So this lovely Irish man who who was really bragging. He said, you know, this was eight hundred years before those pyramids you all talk about. Of course, he did. He said it in a lovely Irish accent, and I and I just felt like, oh, I see you. I see this. I feel this. Like mm-hmm. these stones are sacred. These stones mm-hmm. are ancient, and yeah. And then bringing that home in my heart to where I live on Miwok land and where all these women lived is important. 
Mm-hmm. I would love uh, for you, just because we've talked about mom a lot, if you can, if you wanted to share like what that means and what that song means to you, just so I can, we can give a little more context to the listeners here. Sure. So Mamulad means motherland in Welsh and, or Kumreg, I should say. Welsh is the colonial term for Kumreg. Hmm. And uh, Mamulad is a song that I wrote or maybe it wrote itself and I was just there. And it's just a song that, that just came to honor the, the women who were burned and it just... It wanted to be written. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I just, you know, I try, sometimes you really try hard to write songs and you're kind of forcing them out. This wasn't like that. It just was like, I need, I need to come out now. And I said, okay, here we go. And um, I I filmed it in in the ancient homelands of England and Scotland. And a, a large part of it is filmed in Wistman's wood, which is, um, the last standing oak grove in I want to say England or if not England like a large part of England uh from the Druidic times wow because most because we were oak people yes which is Miwok people were oak people as well Mm. connection but uh we were oak stewards and when the British navy was ramping up they cut down the whole thing that we had stewarded for millennia or tens of thousands of years Mm -hmm. um so this was one place the british could not get into because it was so rocky and it was just really hard to bring the equipment in and out of there to cut it down so i'm sitting on some oak trees that are very um ancient and very precious to the people there um, who, who know what they are. And it's just a song to, to honor primarily the witch burnings, but really all of European heritage and to honor that these women who were so-called witches were usually the ones who understood the, the herbal medicines, who knew how to pray with the mountains, who knew how to pray with the stones, mm-hmm. and they were the healers, right? So there's a very deliberate attack on the keepers of indigenous European knowledge, mm-hmm. um, which is why in addition to asking people to not wear Native American costumes for Halloween, mm-hmm. and also really ask people to not wear witch costumes for Halloween because that does not honor the depth of suffering that occurred on these lands and destroyed these women. And it perpetuates a stereotype that mm is the very stereotype that destroyed our connection to our ceremonies and our connection to our, our heritage as indigenous European peoples. And then I also mentioned Magyarország, which means the people's land in Hungarian, um, which is one of the few non-Roman languages in Europe. I also mentioned Nasza Ziemia, which is a Polish phrase, uh, the people's soil or our soil. So I say Mamulad, all those i'm trying to invoke some of the european languages Hmm. and i also mentioned the bards and the bards were the scottish storytellers they were the scottish the gaelic keepers of songs and stories kind of like what i am for for this time Hmm. and when the british moved in to the scottish homelands 
the first people they would kill were the bards and they would bury them face down so that their stories would die with them. And so there was a really sick destruction of our culture and our heritage, our stories, our lore that to this day, I think we haven't healed from, we haven't had a space or enough time to heal from. So, um, this song is really, there's a phrase where I say feeling is healing and these tears are falling like rain. And so it's like, you know, let it rain on this land. Let it, let us, let us grieve. Let us feel, you know, the depth of, of the pain that, that we don't even know we're carrying half the time. Hmm. Let us, let us grieve. You know, it's, it's okay. You have a space here to grieve. You have a space here to connect. You have a space here to feel. And, and I'm going to hold you through this song as, you, as you're given a space to do that. And I'm going to hold you with love. And I'm going to hold you with tenderness and forgiveness and kindness. And, mm. and, and through that feeling, through the courage that some people will have to feel, they will then heal. And then we can let it go. And then we can not perpetuate these cycles, right? Right. Um, so that's what I would say the song is about. It's, it's so beautiful. And it brought me to tears when I first heard you play it on Ohlone land last year. And having just stepped on the island land just across the sea from Wales mere days ago, I can really feel all of that in my body. I can really feel there was so much grief happening and there was so much reconnection happening. And I think a lot of those of us who identify as white or with European ancestry feel that severing. I think you say in your article, like we need to shake the amnesia. Like there's, um, there's a little bit of a fog around us where we're like, we don't know, or we don't want to ask or, we're just white and that means there's nothingness, you know? And, and I think that's what mm. this song really invited me into in a deeper way. And it's been my journey for the past several years of shaking that amnesia and sp- putting my hands on those stones and crying, crying, crying and wailing and screaming and, and, and mm. feeling it to heal it. So I just, I thank you for the words, for the, the mm. way you bring in this bardic medicine for those of us on this path. Mm. Thank you, sister. Mm-hmm. And I think that for those of us who have that courage to feel, you know, what do you do afterward? And I think the answer is cement that self-love within you and all around you and know that, that this is who you are, mm-hmm. that you come from honorable lines and even when the whole you know, world is, is pointing fingers at us, that we are the quote unquote bad people, you know, yeah. that we have to, even if we don't say it out loud to them, we have to know inside of our mind that that is not true because they don't realize it, but they're just further entrenching the problem when they label us that. Mm. Like Native Americans, you know, obviously I work with a lot of Native Native nations across Turtle Island. 
And I hear it all the time, like, oh, those pilgrims or oh, those this and those that. And I understand where that comes from. Trust me, I get it. We've been through the, through the mill, but we don't understand as a native people that every time we say that, we're actually deepening that amnesia and we're making it harder for European Americans to access those places that they have to access to heal. Yeah. And the only way we're going to fix what's going on on Turtle Island is if people are healed. We're not going to, we're not going to shoot arrows at people and make things better. We're not going to put them in prisons and make things better. We should learn from the European Americans who are traumatized that prisons don't solve anything. They just make things worse. Mm -hmm. And so that punishment, that punitive justice that, that I think a lot of us as European Americans inflict on ourselves is not moving things forward. It is only through restorative justice. Yes. Which is what happened to me. You know, when I was a drug dealer, they, they took me in my, their arms and said, you know, we have a place for you. We have a job for you and, and you are not bad. You've been trained to think you are bad, but you are not bad. You are good. And we're going to help you remember that. Mm. And so I think that this restorative justice in the face of colonization is really hard for us as Native people to wrap our heads around. Mm. Even though we always want restorative justice for our Native youth, and understandably so. But even when the world, you know, so that's what I think is our task. Once we go through that feeling and healing process is we have to walk knowing that carrying those ancestors from 60,000 years ago, we have to remember what would they do in this situation? That's who I am. They would come with love. They would come with humility. They would come with generosity. They would come with courage and they would come forgiving those who won't forgive them. Mm. They would come with all of that and they would show up in these beautiful ways. So even if you're that like one white person at the native Alcatraz gathering, and everyone's looking at you like you're like that one white person, you know, you're there praying for the healing of the Muwekma Ohlone. You're there praying for the healing of the Chochenyo Ohlone. You're there praying for the healing of our African brothers and sisters. And they can say all they want, but you know inside of your heart that that's what you stand for and that's what you're there for. And even if they don't see that yet, they will see it because they'll see it in our actions. And, yes. and that's how we walk. Mm, thank you. Lila, thank you so much for your stories and your wisdom and your passion and all of it. I'm, I'm so grateful for this time with you and for connecting with you in this way. And I'd love to know how we can support you in your good work. Like, where should we go? Where should we put our money and our energy and our time and our eyeballs to support you? Thank you. Um, I don't want your money. <laughs> um, I think give it to your local indigenous peoples. Yeah. Give it to the language revitalization programs. Those are really important. Give it to the food sovereignty programs. Those are really important. And invest in the indigenous peoples in the land where you live. And if you invest in that, you will invest in the health of everything around you because they are the stewards and they're really good at it. 
in terms of, you know, supporting me, I don't think that just prayers, you know, is all that is really worth saying anything right now for me. And I think um, I do have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Lila June. I have the facebook.com slash Lila June. I have the instagram.com slash Lila June. <laughs> so those three things are kind of where I'm trying to establish a little bit of a platform um and and just help you know it's all these weird technological industrial companies but they are a place where I can help people at least and right you know just I just give out messages hopefully that can help so you can follow me there um and I think honestly the best thing you could do for me is just love yourself Mm. please through all of the whisperings that we are nothing, through all of the whisperings that we are unworthy, it's, oh man, it's, it's so strong against every single one of us. And, and the best thing we can do to make this better is to, to love, love ourselves in the face of that. So try and deepen that, that sovereignty within mm. yourself. And, and as women, we have a different set of challenges to heal from than men and the men have their challenges and the two spirit have their challenges and and all of it boils down to self-love which is hard but i think that's what she could do for me please and thank you yes you got it thank you for that ask well thank you so much for your time and um yeah this has been a really beautiful experience thank you you're welcome sister Have a wonderful day. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred, and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.